You're listening to Scaling Up Services, where we speak with entrepreneurs, authors, business experts, and thought leaders to give you the knowledge and insights you need to scale your service-based business faster and easier. And now, here is your host, business coach, Bruce Eckfeld. Are you a CEO looking to scale your company faster and easier? Check out Thrive Roundtable. Thrive combines a moderated peer group mastermind, expert one-on-one coaching, access to proven growth tools, and a 24-7 support community. Created by Inc. award-winning CEO and certified scaling-up business coach Bruce Eckfeldt, Thrive will help you grow your business more quickly and with less drama. For details on the program, visit Eckfeldt.com slash Thrive. That's E-C-K-F-E-L-D-T dot slash Thrive. Welcome, everyone. This is Scaling Up Services. I'm Bruce Eckfeldt. I'm your host. And our guest today is Anna Masker. She is partner of ProfitLink. They're a firm that provides CFO advisory and accounting services to all sorts of companies, including blockchain and some of the tech spaces, as well as professional services. We're going to talk to her a little bit about what she's seeing going on in the space. Just for kind of context for our listeners here, we're recording this the beginning of May. We are in the COVID pandemic. And uh, you know a lot of what's going on in the business world is people kind of dealing with the shelter in place, the kind of impact to businesses and sort of the economy and figuring things through. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that and what companies can think about and how hopefully they can set themselves up for a strong recovery, kind of figuring out how they're going to operate in a sort of the new context. Obviously, this is going to impact us for quite some time. So everyone, I think, is kind of figuring out their strategy. And, um, you know, hopefully we can give them some ideas or at least some frameworks to help think through some of the options they have. Uh, But with that, Anna, welcome to the program. Thanks, Bruce. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. It. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about background and how you got into this before we sort of dive into COVID and strategies and finance. Oh, um, how did stuff. you get into this business? And tell us the story. What was what was the kind of work that you did that got you into founding the company and, and putting together the work that you do? Okay. So I kind of took a roundabout way. I was actually a marketing major undergrad, and I swore I'd never do a journal entry after accounting 101 in college. <laughs> so I was, I, I always said, a reluctant... Um, accountant, but uh, wound up starting my career at GE in their finance department, and that launched my accounting and finance career. I started this company about 13 years ago, originally called ProfitPoint Consulting. And we, you know, because I was looking for something working with the small business sector, I found they had a CPA, they had a bookkeeper, but they really didn't have anybody to help them manage the day to day and understand cash flow and KPIs and forecasts. And so that's how I started my company. We originally were just doing mostly CFO type of work and advisory. Then we started adding bookkeeping services because there was such a need. I was doing a lot of rework with uh, our clients who were doing the advisory on. And then so we've kind of morphed. So a lot of our clients, I like to say they started at the kitchen table and then they grew, but the accounting and finance got left at the kitchen table. And so we really help businesses kind of scale up the accounting finance function, but also start with what is the three to five year strategic plan and then work our way backwards and re-engineering the accounting. So we do everything from CFO to controller to day-to-day accounting for our clients. So that's kind of the the long story of, uh, or the short story of how we got to where we are today. So about six months ago, I uh, brought on a business partner and we started entering the blockchain space because that comes with its own challenges from a crypto yeah. accounting perspective. So we kind of got into that and that's been very exciting as well. 
Yeah, I'm sure. Kind of a, a fascinating kind of way of handling finances and kind of the underlying systems and technology. You know, you mentioned a couple of things in the the background there that I'm curious about in terms of kind of thinking about financial advisory services. I mean, I think a lot of people, especially early stage companies, they hire a bookkeeper and they think they're good, right? They think they're done. Tell me a little bit about how you approach kind of the advisory side different than kind of the bookkeeping side or what the difference is and how business owner who's now kind of in a growth mode or a scaling mode needs to think about these things differently. And and what do these terms mean and, and what do they focus on and why do you need the different roles? Yeah, I mean, we see clients, you know, I think the first hire you make in your finance department, especially when you're a startup, is a bookkeeper. You need somebody who can pay the bills and send the invoices out. But then at some point, you start needing to get more information. And so you get more sophisticated. But what we see is that bookkeeper only has a certain skill set. You know, there's questions that uh, you typically have when you start to grow, you know, am I, can I afford to hire this new person? Do I have enough cash to make it through the next payroll? And so when you turn to that bookkeeper that you hire, sometimes they don't have that, that ability to do that. Kind of going back to my kitchen table analogy, you know, businesses, the way you operate when you're 500,000 in revenue isn't the way you operate when you're a million dollars in revenue and your needs need to change your analytics and the things you need to be looking at change. And it typically starts with like something blowing up, whether you miss payroll or a vendor shuts you off because they haven't been paid. That's typically the starting point where somebody goes, hmm, I need some more help here. This isn't working the way I thought, right? So that's typically when we get a phone call. But I also think that the speed in which business happens, especially when you're startup phase, it's slow at first, but then, you know, you start getting some traction and some momentum. And so your accounting and finance has to keep pace with that. And so uh, that's where automation starts to enter the picture. There's a tech stack within the small business accounting world, whether it's zero or QuickBooks that, you know, there's things that automate your workflow and can keep pace with the speed of your business. And so those are things that we start to put in place. But we always start with what does the business owner need to run the business from an analytic perspective? And then we work our way backwards into engineering the accounting to actually make that happen. I'm curious, for a service company, what are the, some of the sort of things that if you've set up your kind of financial systems and record keeping correctly, that you can really start looking at in terms of how your business is running, where are you profitable, where are you not profitable, you know, can you make some of these investments? What are some of the things that you do on for service companies to help them get better insights on how they're operating, you know, how well their business is operating and where their opportunities Yeah. You know, I think the first thing a lot of clients ask us for is job costing or job profitability. I mean, especially as we're recovering from this COVID crisis, right? It's really important to know where your profits are coming from. So job costing, especially in professional services companies, the labor component is so big. A lot of people just don't have the ability to slice and dice that data by job and put it in uh, at the job level. So when you are in, let's just take COVID, for example, when you have to do major cost cutting, you know, it's the difference between taking an ax to your costs or a scalpel, right? So it might be better if you cut two or three clients that you know aren't as profitable, but you keep the others. And so where job costing for service-based companies allow them to make very decisive decisions and also have strategic conversations with their clients to kind of help 
modify behavior. So if you know you have a client that you're not running the margins that you need to run on them, you have those conversations or you rescope your work or you can take specific action along that line. So within within the accounting infrastructure, you can get job costing, job profitability, as well as like product and service offering profitability. So it gives you the ability to see your business in lots of different dimensions and um, make decisions accordingly in those yeah. different dimensions as well. Yeah, I can't, I can't tell you the number of times I've gone into a company that, you know, kind of looking to grow and scale and they're trying to figure out what our strategy should be. And, and we start having conversations around, well, where, where do you make your money? Which clients are profitable? Which services are profitable? And they kind of have this blank stare. <laughs> they have no clue. And, you know, it really, it's, it's so helpful. It's such a different conversation when the company has done that. And we can actually look at, you know, clients, you know, being able to allocate individuals' times, you know, overhead, things like that down to individual projects and individual clients because invariably you find that you know there's a handful of clients that make up the majority of your profits and there's actually a handful of clients that actually cost you money but if you don't have the data to kind of back that up you're kind of operating blind and I, I just find that those companies that have that data you can start making much better decisions and you have much better insight and and if you don't have that yeah you're kind of making guesses and and it becomes very difficult yeah you know and the other thing that we've seen too is especially if you have a component of your revenue stream that's that monthly recurring revenue, being able to carve that out. I mean, we always ask our clients, where do you want to be in three to five years? And if one of their answers is, I want to sell, then we look at and continue, we look at the, the financials and structure the financials in a way that positions them best for that sale, right? Mm-hmm. So if you have a piece that's monthly recurring, that is much more valuable from a buyer's perspective than project-based. So we want to make sure that we're tracking those type of things to put the best foot forward at time of sale. But not to mention, I mean, as a business owner, it's the best way to run your business anyways to have better better metrics. So the two go hand in hand, but having that slice of the data is is super critical. Yeah. And as kind of the CFO advisory services, how do you typically work with clients or what are the conversations you have and when do you have them? How do you kind of help them around kind of the decisions that they need to make as a business? And what does that conversation look like? Yeah. So I always say, I say everything flows to the financials, right? If you're having a people problem, we'll see it. If you're having a sales problem, we'll see it. If you're having a marketing problem, we'll see it. So we take more of a holistic view. So all of our clients we work with at a minimum on a monthly basis where, you know, and this is good practice for anybody with their financial team is to sit down once a month at a minimum, review the historical financials, look at the projections and talk strategy about where are you going? What happened in the past month? Where do we need to course correct? And where do we think the opportunities are going forward? So a lot of it is looking back in the rear view mirror to see, you know, what's happened. How did you meet your key performance indicators, what your metrics are, and then what do you need to retool going forward? So a lot of our clients will start with the budget, you know, at the beginning of the year, which basically sets your goalposts at the end of your, your field of play. Mm-hmm. And then, then it becomes, we do um, reforecasts every month or every quarter, depending on the client to say, all right, how close are we getting to those goalposts? And so with COVID, let's just say, a bomb went off on the field. And so everyone's goalpost has <laughs> now changed, right? So working with what's the new normal. And so what we're seeing as we're entering the recovery is our clients are kind of retooling themselves and reinventing themselves, which is very, very interesting, but also putting the numbers to that, those plays, uh, those um, opportunities as well, so that they have a idea of 
if this happens, then I do this. And if this happens, I do that. And so kind of taking more of a holistic view of what does this mean, not only from a financial perspective, but what people you need to put in place to make your plan happen, what resources you need from a CapEx perspective, and then do you have the capacity and and the skill set to actually make it happen? And then we see how that plays out monthly, quarterly, and annually. Yeah, it's interesting. It's I always I always love the phrase that the plan is not nearly as valuable as the planning, right? And it's and yeah. it's the process that you go through and you know, kind of the insight you develop and the decisions you make and the ideas you come up with, you know, it really is the core of that. And and analyzing the new situation, new information. And then figuring out, well, what's our direction, you know, and then what's the next step in these kind of times of, you know, bombs going off on the field, as, yeah. as, you, as you put it. Yeah. What are some of the things that, you know, companies need to kind of, I guess, how do you process these things? Like, what's the conversation that you have? What are the questions that you ask? I mean, just give me a little insight on how, like, how does this play out for the companies that you've been working with in terms of both assessing really what the situation is, what the likelihood of the future you know, kind of is going to be, how do you sort through some of these issues with them? Yeah, I mean, I think, I don't know if I have a, a, a list of questions necessarily, but I think it's really, it's asking them, you know, so what's really going on? And then taking that step beyond that first answer and saying, you know, what's the downstream impact? What we're seeing with COVID, for example, is consumer behavior is changing significantly. Well, most of our clients are B2B. But their clients sometimes are B2C. And so we have to take that next step beyond just what's the downstream impact with your customers, but also what your customers' customers are. So we're really looking proactively further down the line of the the value stream, I guess, and saying, okay, what's going to fundamentally change? We have some clients in the trades and real estate we think is going to change significantly coming out of this. So what is your client's pain going to be? And then what's that going to reflect on for you? And how do we need to adapt to make that change? Okay. So then we kind of get into a brainstorming idea, ideation session of, well, what about this? And I think it's a matter of for clients, and and this is not only related just to COVID, but it's a continuous innovation exercise, I guess, in what are the resources that we have and what else can we utilize them for? So let's say you have a, a fleet of trucks. Well, you know, you use that to shuttle your people, your field guys to the field. But hey, is there another opportunity to use that truck for something else? Could it be leased back? Could you sell it and lease it back, you know, do you, can you use it in different ways? And so when we are working with our clients, it's not just, I mean, the historicals are important and we have a healthy respect for the history, but we spend a lot of our time looking forward into what's actually going to happen. And then also with our clients is running the scenarios of saying, okay, you know, if you're up by 10%, what happens? If you're down by 10%, what happens? And having those conversations and those exercise on paper takes a lot of the emotion out of those decisions, especially we saw in the crisis is, you know, you had to make some really tough calls. But if you had that plan laid out ahead of time, it takes a lot of the emotion out and said, okay, this is our action plan, you know. You know, you pull out the playbook and say, okay, this is what we decided yeah. to do. And so I think when you have the numbers and then you remove some of the emotion, it helps some of that um, pave the way for some of that change to happen, which is, can be really difficult at times. Yeah. The other thing I find is people, we think about the worst case scenario and oftentimes what we kind of envision or what we worried about can be quite different than if we actually sit down and figure it out. And even if it's bad, 
sitting down, you know, putting pen to paper, actually modeling the scenario, have, seeing what decisions we need to make, understanding how we would make them, it ends up being not as bad as we thought it might be. Yeah. <laughs> or, or at least now that I see it on paper, it's not as scary as I thought it might be. Mm-hmm. I couldn't agree more because, you know, I don't know about your clients, but I know a lot of ours do their planning in their head. And, and so the actual discussion around putting a budget together is almost therapy for them in some ways to get all of these ideas out on their, on paper. And then what we do, what I like to say when we're, after we get those budgets put together, I said the learnings are in the gaps. So if we had projected the business to be at plus 5% and was at 2% growth, you know, there's a gap there. And so what happened? Was our projection wrong? Or do we need to retool something within our business that's wrong? You know, and so the the budgets, I think, well, you know, a lot of people, I don't know, you probably hear this too, is like, oh, I don't need a budget. My business changes. I can't even tell you what's going to happen next week. But that the exercise of it is super valuable in getting all those different components on paper, like you said, and then measuring actual versus budget. And that's like, you just get so much better as a business owner because you're continuously reevaluating what's going on. Yeah, no, I agree. I think that the budgeting exercise is really, it's a forecasting a set of activities and success rates and modeling the business and how the business is going to perform. And yeah, I like, I like the idea that the learning is in the gaps because it's when it doesn't do what you think, then the, you sort of ask the question, why? Like, what was it? We assumed that we could convert, you know, 30% of our leads into closed deals, but we only converted 18%. Well, like, what happened there? Did we, did something change? And, and 30% was a historical. And now, like, are we going after different clients and now it's less? Or do we change something in our process? Or was 30% really just a bad guess and we didn't know? And 18 now is now really the number we need to work with. And, and how do we remodel the business to hit these numbers with an 18% conversion now? Exactly. So I think that, that learning is really important. Exactly. What are some of the things that companies you feel kind of, you know, either that when you come in, they've, they've gotten wrong or that you're kind of helping them fix and, and they could have fixed earlier, things that they can, business owners can do kind of around best practices and, you know, asking questions earlier that will save them some pain. Is there any kind of common problems that you run into that are avoidable? Yeah, yeah, lots actually. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, but um, yeah, I think, I think it's... Um, I think it's an overall devaluation of the finance accounting function. I think, and in all due respect, I mean, we're, as an industry, we really don't have a really good reputation of being innovative thinkers. <laughs> but, uh, but you know, I think it is that the accounting finance function is kind of an afterthought. It's so not sexy, right? And so it doesn't get the money. It doesn't get the people. It doesn't get the attention and and love it deserves. Whereas, you know, sales and marketing is really sexy and exciting. And that's where a lot of people spend their energy. But what happens, what I think part of our, what we're trying to explain to people is the education process of how information is like a springboard for growth. And so if you have good information, let's just say, let's go back to our, our previous point before about customer profitability, yes, you can sell and market all you want. But if your jobs are not profitable, then you are on this forever treadmill of break even or God forbid loss that you if you just had good numbers to work with. And so I also think that people have this perception that finance is historical only. And I think, as we talked about, it's really more forward looking. So I think where people tend to miss the boat a little bit is not investing in their accounting and finance function and not 
understanding the value that can be provided. Now, that could be a part of the problem is, you know, it's you don't have the right people in the right seats. Yeah. Old Jim Collins, good to great. But you also, at some point, you start outgrowing your staff. And so when you're on rapid growth, you need some additional assistance. And this is not a plug for me. It's just a, it's just a, an overall concept that your metrics yeah. need to change as your business changes. And so what worked for you when you were smaller doesn't work for you when you're bigger. Yeah. Are there good indicators or, you know, breakpoints inside of a business or, you know, inflection points inside of a business that when you reach a certain size or a certain number of people or doing certain kinds of work, like this is a good time to bring on this function or this function or how you kind of rethink or reorganize or restaff your finance team? Are there clear kind of stages that you see in companies? Yeah, I mean, I think everyone starts off with a bookkeeper. And so, you know, from an accounting, accounting and finance headcount department structure wise, we'll go through that. So, you know, everyone starts with a bookkeeper who can get your bills out and your bills paid and payroll run and recorded. And you also have to have an accountant without a doubt who does your taxes, who does your projections for your quarterly payments, who can assist with questions around sales tax and things along those lines. Around, you know, 750000 to a million dollars is really when I think you need to start thinking of bringing in more than a bookkeeper, but more of an accounting manager. And that person will start to get things kind of situated, meaning match revenue expenses in the same time period, that's doing accruals, that's closing the books, and maybe getting you some, you know, initial KPIs like gross margin, net income, you know, things along those lines. You know, once you hit like a million to five million is really when I think you start needing like a part-time controller an outsource service. Typically works really well. It gives you the flexibility to not have to bring a person in full-time yet, can give you. So you need some sort of guidance as you're navigating that critical one to five million. And then five million to 20 million, that works as well. But you would need like a, a part time controller and CFO type of person who's maybe at that point you have four or five people in your accounting department and you need somebody to start making, keeping all the, the wheels moving on a day to day basis. So, so from an accounting structure perspective, that's kind of, those are kind of the inflection points. From a KPI perspective, I mean, those I think you need from, you know, day one. As your business is changing, you really have to understand like what the industry metrics are and take that with a grain of salt, you know, for your own perspective. But one of the things I think we all do is just look at the trends over time and say, okay, for our business, you know, a 40% gross margin is good. And then, you know, use that as kind of a benchmark versus sometimes the industry standards are so broad that it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. So we kind of come up with what our own KPIs are for the business and help them kind of implement that. And then make sure your accounting system can generate those relatively quickly. Yeah. And if you're, you know, looking to bring in people, you know, whether it's on a full-time or part-time basis into these roles, anything that you suggest people look for in terms of skills or capabilities or even personalities, you know, what is a a good way to kind of assess, again, whether it's a part-time or full-time role, the people to put into this department? Because I think that's the other kind of challenge that people face is they just don't know how to assess, interview, you know, find the right people 
you know, in part because some of this is sort of technical and it's like, how do I evaluate someone's financial skills when I maybe don't have a whole lot of financial fluency? Any suggestions you have on that? Yeah, I mean, this is where your CPA comes into play. So I think a couple of the basic skills you want them to have is they have to be a good culture fit for you and your organization because they're going to play a critical role in the group. So number one, cultural fit. Number two, you want somebody to be tech savvy, very comfortable with the cloud. This is at all levels, the CFO down to controller to the bookkeeper. You know, that is the way that accounting is moving and uh, technology is automating a lot of the manual tasks. So culture fit, very tech savvy, you know, can keep pace with the the way your business is changing. And, you know, we ask a lot of situational questions when we do our interviews. And it, a lot of it is, you know, tell me about a time when, you know, the business changed direction or you were asked to change direction very quickly. If you're familiar with DISC, D-I-S-C, a lot of accountants are mm-hmm. very C-oriented, right? So they're very processed, they're slow moving, they like rhythm, routine, and, you know, things clearly defined. In the startup and, and fast growth mode, you need to be able to find those diamond in the rough type of people who can pivot quickly with you, yet be that voice of reason to say, okay, time out, guys, let's just, let's just take a moment here and just see what are we trying to accomplish. So it's a, it's a kind of fine line between the two. So where your CPA comes in, back to my original point, was you need to be able to make sure that they technically can accomplish what you need to have them accomplish. So your CPA is a good person to refer them to and ask them to do a technical interview. Because like you said, a lot of the business owners don't have that technical expertise. So they're hiring kind of on a hey, you know what, they seem to fit with us, but they may not have the technical expertise and they don't know that until, you know, that first blow up happens and payroll doesn't get met. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's always a challenge. It's uh, unfortunately, yeah, you don't you don't know that you made a bad decision until sometimes it's it's a disastrous you know, yeah. situation, and now you're <laughs> you're unwinding, you know, three years of books oh, and you know yeah. having someone to come in and clean it up. I've just I've I've seen and I've been part of one or two cases of coming into companies where it's you know we just we need to spend three months just kind of cleaning up the situation before we even know what we're doing or know what the next steps are. So yeah. uh, I've seen that happen the other side. Any other bits of advice you can? give for folks who are you know kind of figuring out how to use the finance function on a more strategic basis you know to help them really make business decisions as opposed to just you know kind of a, a trailing bookkeeping kind of function you know any other kind of things to keep in mind or, or strategies they can use to make sure that they're really taking advantage of what a good strong financial view of their business can do for them yeah actually <laughs> when your controller or your CFO or your bookkeeper says we need to sit down and review the numbers sit down and review the numbers with them please <laughs> because they yeah. are trying to tell you things that you may not want to hear number one so stick your head in the sand is not a good strategy. But, you know, having those regular monthly reviews and sitting and listening is really, I think your eyes will start to be open to the potential of what you can do with this resource that you have in your organization. So, uh, so when they do say, Hey, it's time to sit down and review the numbers, book that time on your calendar. And I always say to anybody that we advise, if they have in-house staff, you know, put that monthly review on your calendar and make sure it's held sacred. You know, getting those butts in the seats to sit down and and look at the numbers is really, you know, it's beneficial for your business because what happens is we're so busy running the business and working 
on it, you know, on everything else, certain things can slip up. And all of a sudden, you're in a situation where you're like, how did this happen? And meanwhile, it's been accruing, it's been brewing from a financial perspective all along. But because you haven't spent the time to sit down and do it, or look at it, sometimes it just creeps up on you. And the la- that's the last thing you want to happen. Yeah, I'll second that. <laughs> Making it a regular habit, putting it, in, putting it on your repeating calendar. Because if, if you don't, if you don't chip away at it every month, if you let that go, by the time you do actually sit down, there's going to be so much there. You just, you don't have, you don't have time. You don't have time to make the changes. And, and unfortunately, then you're playing catch up rather than being on top of it. The other right. thing I, I would say around that one that I think is, I certainly, I would say around that one that I think is, I certainly learned personally. And I think a lot of the CEOs that actually getting good at that, like if, if you don't understand the finances, you need to kind of start working on that because that, yeah. those are great tools to help you really understand what's happening in your business. And, and if that's a scary meeting, there's something there. Like you probably mm. need to kind of understand more about it or, or maybe the, the nature of that conversation needs to shift. Maybe the person that you're working with on that is, isn't presenting it in the right way or you need to kind of find a way to make it more valuable for you. But, you know, doing that meeting and doing that meeting well can be a real good rhythm and kind of habit to get into from a, from a business owner point of view. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And this has been a pleasure. If people want to find out more about you, about the work that you do, what's the best way to get that information? They can visit our website, which is ProfitLink, P-R-O-F-I-T-L-I-N-Q.com. Or they can reach out to me. I'm on LinkedIn at Anna Masker, or you can reach me at amasker at ProfitLink.com. Great. I will make sure that those those links in the URL and email is in the show notes here. People can click through and get that. Anna, this has been a pleasure. I always I must say I've feel like I've been reasonably good financially, but it's always been one of my weaker areas <laughs> from a business point of view. So I love having conversations with folks that are strong in this area. And you know, like I said, it's something I've had to learn over time and appreciate over time. But I, I appreciate you coming on the show today and, and giving us some good insights, some good advice, and, and hopefully some good takeaways for folks here listening. Thanks so much, Bruce. You've been listening to Scaling Up Services with business coach Bruce Eckfeldt. To find a full list of podcast episodes, download the tools and worksheets, and access other great content, visit the website at scalingupservices.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at scalingupservices.com slash newsletter. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.